invite you to turn to Matthew chapter 17. Um, I'm, yes, that's right. Um, so we are we're going to be looking at uh, the I- I- occurrence of a event or an event that happened in the life of Jesus and the disciples after the transfiguration. And and you're going to notice that I, I've mentioned the transfiguration a few weeks ago as I covered uh, Matthew chapter 16. And we're not covering that text today. Um, I just for whatever reason the Lord just did not impress me that that needed to be something that we taught on. Um, from the pulpit, uh, it's not that I'm saying it's not important. I just feel like seasonally that's not what the Lord impressed me to, to take a look at. But I would remind you of a couple things setting up the context for what happens in the text that we're looking at today. In the transfiguration, Jesus actually has just a few disciples on, on the mount with him. So the bulk of his disciples are still at the, the base of the mountain around people uh, and doing ministry. And I think that sets up a, a just that little bit helps us understand the context of what Jesus does or descends to uh, and, and sees as he comes down from the Mount of Transfiguration where the Lord has uh, revealed uh, to, to the, the disciples the, the importance of who Jesus is and his uh, position as the Messiah. And so that, that gives us this, uh, hopefully that background a little bit. Now, as way as introductory remarks, I want to ask you guys a question. Um, being that I'm pursuing a lot of things in history right now, one of the, the phrases that we, uh, you hear about history uh, uh, very frequently is this. History has a way of repeating itself, right? And, and I don't think that it's just history itself. I think it's us as people. And I'm reminded of what uh, the writer of Ecclesiastes says, and you'll know this one as well. Debbie, you want to say it really loud? That's exactly right. There's nothing new under the sun. And so when, when we think through what the disciples are doing in this, uh, in this passage as we read it, I want to remind you that I, don't, I think my tendency is to look at them and point their fingers and, and point my fingers at them and kind of think, what's wrong with them? Can't they learn? How, how dare they? Uh, especially Peter, you're, you're so slow. Um, why, 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 Peter, can't you get the lesson right? And then I'm like, wait a second, remember that other old adage is when you point your fingers at somebody, how many are pointing back at you, right? And, and that I need to be careful not to be too quick to criticize or to blame or to shame someone about these things. So I, 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 all that to say, we've got a, a, a responsibility to be very careful and guarded in our assessment of what's happening in the lives of the disciples. So um, let me... And as a little bit further way of reminder of this, let me remind you some things that we see happening in the lives of the disciples that show us that they do fall into patterns. So do you remember when Jesus was walking on the water? We saw that just a a couple chapters back when we were in the Gospel of Matthew earlier this year. Um, Jesus is walking on water, and what does Peter do? He says, Lord, if it's you, tell me to get out of the boat, and I'll come. And Jesus says, come. And then Peter does what? He gets out of the boat, and he walks some distance. Now, now, don't think that this is some calm water, right? The, the disciples were afraid of the wind and the waves, and it was tumultuous. So he's probably, I mean, I'm imagining he's walking on these things that are pretty big. So it's not just like this little thing, and they're probably, he's probably getting wet from the splashes and the, the white caps and all that stuff. It was a, a big deal for him to get out. And then all of a sudden, what does he do? He starts to sink. In the midst of him walking on water, he get, he, his faith becomes, in a sense, weak, and he begins to sink. And then Jesus reaches out and says, oh, you have little faith. Why did you doubt? And, and I would remind us of this, not to be overly critical of Peter. He's the only guy that got out of the boat. <laughs> Everybody else was hunkered down behind the gunnels. Judd, not the gunwales, behind the gunnels, right? See, I'm teachable. So, the pattern was, had been repeated. And then we see that, that um, there's another instance where the disciples, they have been feeding all these people over the course of the Gospel of Matthew, groups of 5,000 and 3,000 and more. And, and, and then Jesus, uh, they, they actually get confronted by the Pharisees, the disciples and Jesus do, about picking the grain heads off of the wheat on, a, on the Sabbath. And Jesus says, look, it's not what goes into a man that makes him unclean. It's out of the heart of man that, that comes forth what shows that he's unclean. 
And that's a gross paraphrase, so forgive me. But that's essentially it. And Jesus in that declares food to be clean. And he's saying, look, this also applies that, that people should, should be able to, uh, no matter what background, they should not be criticized. And then what happens is um, there, there's this Gentile woman that asks Jesus to heal her daughter. And the, the, the disciples are like, send her away, send her away. And so they don't get the message. And Jesus says, no, we need to, we need to bring her in and because she is able to eat the scraps from the table. That, that, that's that context, right? So Jesus is saying, don't fall into these traps and patterns. And so what we see is this. I think that, that there, we're all prone to these patterns. We're prone to see and know that great things can be done. And then we end up in what I would say are major blunders, maybe even areas as uh, serious as sin, that, that having experienced the things of God, we still begin to like reverse the pattern. See what I'm saying? And, and, and then we end up in those places where we have dis, uh, disobeyed or doubted and, and gone against the things of God. But, but in this instance, and this is where the disciples for sure get it always uh, I say always, most of the time, we see them get this pattern correct, is they go back to Jesus. And, and so it's when Jesus goes into the boat, what, what do the, all the disciples say at that point? Truly, you are the Son of God. There's that declaration. And we see them learning about ministering to people. And even in this instance that we're going to see today, I think they want to minister to people, even though they miss. So let's look at Matthew chapter 17. We're going to be in uh, verses 14 through 21. So remember, context. Jesus is coming down from the Mount of Transfiguration, okay? And so it says, and when they came to the crowd, a man came, to up, uh, came up to him and kneeling before him said, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he is an, epilep an epileptic and he suffers terribly. For often he falls into the fire and often into the water. And I brought him to your disciples, and they could not heal him. So, so that's that context where while Jesus was up on the Mount of Transfiguration, the disciples that were left behind, this dad, brought his epileptic son to the disciples, and they couldn't heal him. Okay? So now here, here's what happens in verse 17. Let's follow the rest. And Jesus answered, O faithless and twisted generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him here to me. And Jesus rebuked the demon, and it came out of him, and the boy was healed instantly. Let's follow the pattern. Let's keep going. Then the disciples came to Jesus privately, and they said, Why could we not cast it out? He said to them, Because of your little faith. For truly I say to you, if you have faith like a grain of mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, Move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. Now, I'm going to insert something here. If you're, how many of you are reading from an uh, English Standard Version this morning? Raise your hands. Okay. If you'll notice at the end of that line in your ESV, there is the little number one. Do you see that footnote right there at the end of impossible for you? What that means is you need to look down at your footnotes and see, as actually, actually that should be right. But you look down at your footnotes and you'll see number two. Uh, no, it is, it's right there. One is right there. Some manuscripts insert here, but this kind, and it says verse 21, but this kind never comes out except by prayer and fasting. So, so I, I think that that verse uh, and what's happening there, just so you know a little bit of information about textual uh, translations and all that stuff, most manuscripts did not include that verse. So, so the ESV um, translation committee says, hey, we, we want to footnote this because we don't think it's as, as valuable in this text. I still think that that's a valid point uh, that we can consider because I think in other texts, that, uh, other books, it does show that that part of the passage is present, maybe just not in the this manuscripts of uh, Matthew's gospel, okay? So prayer and fasting certainly point to some things that we're going to look at in a minute. So I'll make a few uh, minor comments about that. But here's, here's the point, okay? When Jesus is teaching the disciples on this matter of them not being able to, to cast out this demon, 
he points to them and says, this is a matter of faith, okay? Look, look back at verse, uh, verses 19 and 20. He says, the disciples came to, to Jesus and privately said, why could we not cast it out? It's a great question, right? Why, why, why were we unable? And he said to them, because of your little faith. For truly I say to you, if you have faith like a grain of mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. So, so I don't know about you, but, but let's do a quick poll this morning, raise hands. How many of you have ever heard of somebody say, I wish I could grow my faith? My faith is just not, I don't have enough faith. You hear that? Yeah, okay. So, so I, I hear that frequently. Here's my struggle with that. How much faith is enough? What, what does Jesus say? If it's as enough as a grain of a mustard seed. How, much, how big is a grain of a mustard seed? So, somebody give me like a, an idea. Measurement. I see some of you laughing because it's tiny. Like I was trying to think about how to, how to explain it. It, it. It's, I mean, how many of you know jalapeno seeds? Yeah, Jesse, I know you do because Rob loves the heat. Um, say that again. You, you love the heat too. I don't, you don't talk about it as much. You don't brag about it. <laughs> Rob's not here to defend himself. He already knows. Okay, y'all, okay. I won't get, him in, get you in trouble. Um, so I was thinking about jalapeno seeds. You know, they're, they're, they're pretty small, but a mustard seed is probably about what? I would say smaller than half. I, I would say it's probably about a fifth of the size of a jalapeno seed. They're, they're tiny. Now, they're round. They're shaped very differently, but, but that's how small it is. So, so Jesus doesn't say you have to have a, a seed the size of a watermelon seed or a, 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 what else is it? a pumpkin seed. Those are big, right? He, he doesn't say that. It's not about the size and the amount. Faith is never about that. Faith, faith is, is not about us increasing the size of it. Can I, can I encourage you with this this morning? I hope, hopefully this encourages you. Faith is about exercising the strength in it. Does that make sense? It's, it's about moving more and more in relationship with the Lord so that your faith and understanding of Him increases, not by volume, but by strength and reliance. So I, I shared this a couple months ago when we were looking at the topic of faith. I want to do this again. So Abigail, Ryan, where are you? You're in the back. It's time to take notes, dear, because this is about Latin, okay? So, Gina, you can, as you coach her, you know, teach her. Here we go. So, there's three Latin terms for faith. You remember what these are? The first one is notitia, N-O-T-I-T-I-A. And that word has to do with the content of faith. So, so, obviously, when we come and think about Jesus, the content about Jesus is essential. We, we need to understand who he is. We need to understand key doc, doctrines that explain who he is. Can I, I, I'm, I don't want to go too far down this bunny trail, but right now I'm studying key doctrines of two guys from the mid-19th century. Um, that's the right century, I think, 1800s. That's the 19th. My brain's on other stuff this morning. So Charles Spurgeon is one. You guys know he's one of my heroes of the faith. Henry Ward Beecher is another one. And to compare their doctrines, they are extremely different, even from the same era. Beecher, I would call him actually a heretic because of his doctrine on the incarnation. He, he doesn't hold that Jesus held two natures. He holds that the divine nature basically enfolded Jesus in humanity in this one nature, and that the human nature is exactly the same nature as God. Whoa, time out. If that's faith's content, that is wrong. Does, does that make sense? Because Jesus had a human nature and a divine nature, and they were basically put together in the one person. That's a, been a huge issue within all of Christendom over all the history about the incarnation. And if you hold something different, you move into heresy than what, what is accurate about the incarnation of Christ. And we could go on and on and on about all sorts of other doctrines. But that's the idea. Faith has to have the right content because if we don't have the right content, then we're potentially worshiping the wrong Savior, relying on the wrong Savior, worshiping the wrong God. And that's dangerous, folks. So, so we have to have the right uh, content of our faith. The second Latin word, Abigail, is ascensus. A-S-S-E-N-S-U-S. 
and, and you'll get this from banking and, and, and or some other uh, ideas, a census means that you assent to something, that you agree to it. So it's not just knowing the contents right, but you say, yeah, I, I see and, and count that as truth, okay? So, so you, you begin to see how the content and the belief start to line up. And then the third word in Latin for faith is the word fiducia, F-I-D-U-C-I-A. If you place your trust in someone about fiduciary matters, you're giving them the accounting and the ability to, uh, to manage your finances. You, you, you trust a bank with your fiduciary manners. You in, are, are setting your whole, uh, if you will, operations in their care. It's, it's that kind of trust. So when you think about what faith is, uh, means at the core, it's not just a simple little word. It ultimately means that we come into this uh, understanding about the content of faith of who Jesus is, that we agree that that is the truth, and then we enter into a trusting relationship with lives surrendered to him. Now, now why is that important in this whole concept of what's happening with the disciples here? Let me, let me bring it back. Because Jesus makes an incredibly hard, harsh accusation. And it's not just about the people of that area. It includes the disciples in this moment. Look back at verse 17. After Jesus hears this testimony of the dad who, who doesn't get the epileptic, ep, why can't I say that word this morning? I'm talking too fast. Thanks, Jesse. Epileptic. There we go. This son healed by the disciples. Jesus makes this point. He says to them in verse 17, he answered, O oh, faithless and twisted generation, how long am I to be with you? What? Now, if, if I'm really trying to read into this, uh, and I hope I'm interpreting this right, I would say that that is not as strongly pointed to the dad and the witnesses as it is to the disciples who failed to, to uh, properly administer the, the opportunity to heal this boy. And, and they've missed it. Does that make sense? So it's almost like Jesus is strongly including them. And I think that's a warning to us that we can often look and go, well, it's the world. It's the world. But the truth is, folks, we can be just as guilty of the things that the disciples were struggling with over and against the world. And as a, as a matter of fact, because if we're believers in Christ, because we've already expressed that we believe the content of who he is, that he is the Lord and Savior, that he's the Messiah, and that we we believe that's truth, and then we've assented to that with that fiduciary kind of trust, okay, then, then we have a, the greatest amount of accountability to make sure that we're walking rightly with him. So, so what happened that, that Jesus, like why was it the disciples, uh, what was their miss? Why was it that the disciples missed and Jesus accuses them of this? Well, I, I think that this is the reason. The disciples were uh, focused in on a formulaic approach to faith. They'd seen Jesus do the miracles. And so they said, well, we can pray this out. We, we can deal with this demon and we can get it exercised. But the formulaic approach often leaves us without or apart from the relationship. Does that make sense? And, and I don't know about you, but I could get very mechanical about the matters of my walk with the Lord. I, I can make sure that I'm doing all the right things, attending church, doing my devotions, doing, you know, studying the Word, praying, uh, do, doing all the, the, the things that I'm supposed to do as a good boy, right? But the, the other side of that is relationally, I can be so dried up and distant from Christ. And I'm not saying don't go through the motions, but don't just go through the motions. Sometimes we have to do the right things to make sure that we get connected. But if the goal is just to do the mechanical things and not be connected relationally, we've missed the ultimate goal. Does that make sense? So, so we, we need to remember what Jesus is getting at is that the, the relationship is the most important. Now, here's the interesting thing. This idea of uh, being 
twisted and departed, I'm, I'm sorry, uh, the, the twisted and faithless generation, the, tw- the word twisted there is, is a Greek word that actually has to do with the formation of pottery. It actually has this, gives this picture that before the pottery is about to be fired, that, that it's been malformed. A couple of years ago, Katie and I did a pottery class for a date. It was so much fun. Um, I've always wanted to, to throw pottery. And we, we went down to, where was that? Um, Fairview Dixon area. And, and to mud puddle pottery. It was great. We, we got electric wheels and we, we were doing all this stuff. And, and having never done that before, we didn't do something really tall. We just kind of did low little kind of containers. But it's still so much fun. But I realized how quickly is that potter, pottery wheel spinning and you're messing with the clay that you can get it in a wonky shape. Is that, is that a good technical term, wonky? Because it, it, it's a delicate art. It, it takes training. It takes like the right amount of pressure, the right amount of uh, water on your hand to make the clay slide properly. And, and as we looked at that, you know, we know it's just moldable clay at this point. But what we turn in to them to fire is going to be the end product. And, and it was not too far a cry for us to get it twisted and, and, and deformed. And I started thinking about that and then what my mom did when we were growing up. She actually was huge into ceramics. Has anybody ever done ceramics? My mom had a kill. She would buy molds. And, and for there, there was a season where I liked to watch that stuff. I remember getting this Black Panther that she, she got for me at one of the pottery or ceramic stores. And I got to go home and paint the panther and do all this stuff. But, but that, that's a little different. But here's the, the point. With a mold, you pour it in and you let it dry and then you go back and shape out the seams and a couple other things that, that you're doing with the clay, but it's a totally different process. And I started thinking about the difference. So we, we know that the Lord is the potter, right? And we're the clay. But, but here's the other side of this. The closer we draw in to the mold of Christ, relationally with him, the less chance we have of being deformed and twisted does that make sense at the illustration? And, and I think too many times what we end up doing is we'll just do all the mechanical stuff and we don't draw into the relationship with Christ to be molded. That, that it's the wrong perspective. It's, it's the wrong side of faith where we're surrendering to his workmanship on us. And I think that's what Jesus is getting at. That the disciples needed to draw in to him. That, that they needed to come under his leadership, his mastery, his teaching. Because ultimately, if this is about faith, right, it's not about practice. How do we get strengthened in our faith? It's by approaching the Lord properly. It's not about some kind of um, mechanics. It's about the relationship because what does faith focus on? That's what he's getting at. Faith focuses on him as the content our ascent to understanding that He is truth and our trust in Him. And so strengthening that faith is exercising our willingness to come in and align with the truth of Scripture, to be teachable. So I, I started thinking about this, and you think about this where, the, where the, the disciples, what did they do? So they're in the pattern, right? We've watched you heal. We failed. Jesus, hey, can we meet with you? That They meet with Him privately, and they say, why did it not work? The disciples in that moment were teachable. And I, I know we talked about this last week, but you go back to the, our fatter characteristics of what we're looking for. Faithful, available, teachable, thankful, enthusiastic, responsive to authority. I see both their teachableness and their response to the authority of Jesus as coming out right here. And, and I, could, I could go down the list, but they were faithful because they went to Jesus. They didn't go back to, to anybody else. So the, the point is that we need to make sure that when we fall in these patterns, especially if it's a pattern of sin, we return to Jesus to be taught by him. So we're going to take a break. Boys and girls, it's time for you to come down here and be taught by Miss Chrissy Walden and Natalie. So y'all come down here, find one of the cushions to sit on and give Miss Chrissy and Natalie, your best attention. We got lots of barefooted kids up here.
one, two with boots, and everybody else in socks or feet. Good country living today. Good morning. So happy to be with you guys today. So today's focus is giving is worship. All right, and Miss Chrissy's going to tell you a story out of the Book of Mark today. Um, so a little bit, a uh, little bit of background as far as worship. So worship means celebrating God to show Him our love. And today we're going to learn about a widow. Does anybody know what a widow is? Correct. Yes, a woman whose husband has passed away. So today we're going to learn about how a widow worshipped God and how Jesus responded to her actions. Worship comes from the heart and can show others how much God means to us. Um, we have to be careful, though, because we shouldn't try to get um, any attention from others or cause a distraction when we, when we worship. Our true worship is about honoring God because of who he is. And so today we'll see in the Bible story on how the poor widow set a good, good example for all of us. So we're going to be in Mark, um, verses 14 through 44 today. Jesus sat down opposite the place where offerings were being put and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Many rich people threw in large amounts, but a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a few cents. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, Truly, I tell you, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. They all gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything, all that she had to live on. What do you think about that? That, that wonderful woman putting in everything that she had to worship our God. Natalie's going to ask you a few hard questions, so I hope you're listening. All right. Where is Jesus? Good job. This is a hard one. What is Jesus doing? What are the rich people doing? Yeah. All right. What does the poor widow do? What does she do? What does Jesus tell his disciples? <laughs> Good job. How can this be? Last one. What does this teach us about worship? Yeah, good job. Are those hard? No. <laughs> That's because y'all are really smart. <laughs> y'all are great listeners. It's always a joy. Thank you. Well, Today's memory verse is out of Psalm 63, 4. And so as I say it, I would like you to repeat it with me, okay? So I will praise you as long as I live. And in your name, I will lift up my hands. Psalm 63, 4. All right, let's do it one more time together. Ready? I will praise you as long as I live, and in your name, 
I will lift up my hands. Psalm 63, 4. Thank you. Girls, y'all are going to be going back with Miss Katie and Miss Maya. <clears throat> and parents, I would remind you to get their shoes on your way out. Um, because I, I think only the Ryan boys were wearing their boots. Um, I mean, be comfortable, right? Um, so and I, I want to do a quick commercial for something uh, as we come back. Remember what I was addressing was teaching on how, how the disciples were going in through this pattern, but the, the, uh, what, where they had to win in, in engaging in this pattern was their teaching, their teachability to go to, and return to Jesus. Um, this week, about, gosh, I think it was about two and a half, three months ago, uh, we as a church were given an opportunity, lots of churches were, uh, to, to purchase, or not actually purchase, to, to order books for free from Crossway Publishers. Um, those books came in this week. Uh, the book that they are giving away free is called uh, Gentle and Lowly by Dane Ortland. If you don't know who Dane Ortland is, that's no big deal. Um, he's, he's solid. Do you know Dane, Christy? Okay. So his, his dad is Ray Ortland, who, who was uh, a pastor. He's now retired. He, he pastored several Presbyterian churches in the Nashville area um, and uh, started Emmanuel Church down in Nashville. Uh, his son, Dane, is the one who's written this book. So on the bookshelves, both on, uh, in the Welcome Center, like back behind it, and then across the Welcome Center are the books Gentle and Lowly. Um, I would like for us to do something, and uh, this is a secondary thing to all the other things we're doing. I would like for you to get those, at least one copy of that book, uh, and you begin to read it. It's yours for free, okay? Uh, I would also like for you to take another copy and pray about who the Lord would want you to give that book to, especially somebody that may not be plugged into a church so that, that they can be encouraged by the book. And then here's what we're going to do. Some point over the course of this fall, we're going to have a couple of meetings to just get together and talk about the book. I don't know how, what that's going to totally look like at this point, but it'll be kind of a, a different book club. We're not going to do it all at once. So if you're like me and you read, like I, I have a hard time picking up a book and just reading a section. I want to read the whole thing. So if that's you, go ahead and do how do you, okay? Um, but I would encourage you, don't think that that's just going to be an individual exercise. And, and part of the hope would be two things in this. One is that you're greatly encouraged and strengthened by reading the book. Two, I said two, there's probably three. Two, your friend that you give the book to would be greatly encouraged and strengthened. And then as we get together with as a body and with those folks that you've given the book to, we could be an encouragement to one another about those things, especially if they're not plugged in a church. They would find that the Grove is a community of believers that, that are excited about what the Lord is doing in their life and those kind of things. Now, why did I commercial that right here? Well, here's why. Because when I got the book and I, I started thinking, you know, I just said, Lord, what, what, would, what does Dane Ortland have to say like, that would line up about this idea of teachability? I just, it just kind of flashed through my brain. So I went to the book and I started looking through it just a little bit, skimming some things. And I came across this statement. And though it points to a different passage, I think these things certainly align. And I think it's a great perspective. And I hope this encourages you today. Here's what he says um, about teachability. He says, Jesus is accessible. Now, now I want to take that thought and remind you of what I've been emphasizing today. We're not talking about the mechanics of religion. We're talking about our faith in the person of Jesus Christ. And faith bringing us into a right relationship with Him that restores the right relationship with our Heavenly Father that was marred by sin and the fall of man that we've marred by our own personal sin. We need to know that Jesus is accessible. So if you don't get anything out of today, would you walk away going, Jesus is accessible. I can find a relationship with Jesus at any moment. And listen to what he says further. He says in, in Matthew eleven twenty eight, Jesus tells us explicitly who qualifies for, for fellowship with him. All who labor 
and are heavy laden. I don't know where you are today. Maybe this is why I stopped with, uh, started the message with prayer. Uh, that, that, that there's burdens, that there's things that we're facing. There may be some heaviness to, to life right now. If you're in heaviness, Jesus is accessible. He wants you to come to Him. Listen to what James says further. You don't need to unburden or collect yourself and then come to Jesus. Just come as you are. Just come as you are. Your very burden is what qualifies you to come. Remember, it is after this that Jesus tells the disciples to take His yoke upon them and learn from Him. He is gentle and lowly. That's the title of the book. But I, I think it's a great reminder. Because where were the disciples in this scene that we've seen uh, after the, the transfiguration? Jesus had just accused them of being twisted. That, that they were faithless, right? And, and some translations say perverted generation. That it was not this well-done, good and faithful servant kind of remark. They missed the mark on all uh, accounts. You think they were burdened? You, you think they were licking their wounds a bit? You think they were overwhelmed? You think they were discouraged? You, you, you think that there were a lot of things going on in their minds and hearts? I do. And I don't think I could capture them all or we could capture them all this morning. And every one of them probably had some kind of unique, different perspective about this. Because I don't know how the scene unfolded. I, I can just think through some of that. I bet you there's a couple disciples that said, hey, we're going to be at the forefront of this. We're going to be the ones laying hands on some guys. You be the guys, and they're, they're taking the lead. You be the guys that are back there praying. You be the ones that are maybe getting oil for this. I don't know what went down, but I can see every one of them going, well, I failed at my job and responsibility. I failed at this. I failed at that. And so it's a gamut of things. It's not just one little thing. They were burdened. They were heavy laden. But Jesus is accessible. And he is gentle and lowly, and he meets us where we are. Isn't that good news? Folks, I think so many times we live in a culture that, that we want the mechanics to make us look right. We, we want us to put on the airs and the appearances that, that everything's in order and then Jesus will be pleased with us. No. Just come humbly. He's a humble Savior. He wants to meet you right where you are. He's accessible. And I don't know what's going on in your life today, but can I encourage you Wherever you are, whatever the struggle, whatever the burden, He will meet you, and then, and then, He will teach you that His yoke is easy and His burden is light. Isn't that good news? So, when it comes back to this idea then of faith, it's not about the amount. What Jesus is getting at as we come back like the disciples would have, and we enter in that relationship, what he's looking for is effective faith that engages with him. Does, does that make sense? So, so the, the idea of moving the mountain, let me, let me just say this, that is not a literal idea. Don't, don't walk out of here and say, hey, you know, faith is this. I can pray and I'll watch the mountain move. I, I'm, I'm not going to pray for the mountain where my parents live in Chattanooga to reshape the city and the town around it. That's dumb. Okay, Lookout Mountain is not going to ever move. Elder Mountain is not going to ever move. Raccoon Mountain is not going to ever move. Signal Mountain is not going to ever move. Okay, that, that's my homeland. Those, those things are there. That idea is a metaphor. Okay, it, it's a, this idea that nothing's too great. And when we operate in not mechanical faith, but in effective faith, we can trust that when we ask according to God's will, wait, oh, wait, that, that, that sounds like, the Lord's Prayer, doesn't it? When we ask according to God's will, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your what? Will be done. So, so it's this right alignment in our prayers and, and the effectiveness of them taking shape as we align rightly in our relationship with the Lord. Does that make sense? So, so effectiveness comes through praying His will, aligning with Him, and being obedient in those things. It's not just the mechanics. And, and, and though, as, as Jesus may have said, 
that these things only happen by prayer and fasting. There's aspects that, uh, of our mechanics that do drive us, and they help uh, remind us of what it means to align. And I think that's why that verse is so important to be included in the reading this morning and attention. Because if we're not praying and then we're not fasting, because what do those two things indicate? Alignment. Prayer is the alignment in order of God's will. Fasting is a surrender of self to say, Lord, you are more important than anything else in this world. And that fasting promotes that realignment where we tend to get out of uh, adjustment because we're focused on the material things. So, so the, those things are important, but they're not the only means. It doesn't mean you can just pray and fast and everything's cool. It's about the heart in alignment. It's about effective faith. So let me finish with a couple of thoughts. I think this is an important one. We live in a fast-paced culture. Everybody around us is looking for shortcuts. Am I wrong in that? Or is that a pretty accurate statement? I mean, we, we, we want it as fast as we can. Shortcuts. There's no shortcut to a relationship with Christ. It, it will not happen. Don't think it will happen. So, so what does that mean? If there's no, no shortcut, well, enjoy the journey. <laughs> does that make sense? We, we, we have this responsibility to... Yeah, maybe we're in a bad place in the pattern, but we can't shortcut it. Just return and realign with Jesus in that relationship and find your faith being improved in its effectiveness, strengthened in its effectiveness. Let me remind you what James 1 teaches. He says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. It's not, hey, count it all joy when you meet trials and then try to shortcut them, subvert them, get around them. It's counted joy when you meet them. Why? For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. So the point is that we would get tested, that we would go through these things, maybe even go through the pattern like the disciples do. It's okay. We're, we're human. We're going to do it. But we get it right. And we let the steadfastness of those trials produce a good work in us. That's, as James says, let steadfastness have its full effect. That you may be perfect. And I'm not talking about perfection in the sense of being without sin. It's that you be per perfected in and made complete, lacking in nothing. Because when we surrender to the teaching of Christ, rightly in relationship with Him, then He fulfills our every need. And we, we see that relationship strengthening so the effectiveness of our faith produces good work. So, reminder, you can't shortcut the process. Which brings us to this point. Where are you in the pattern? Where are you in the pattern? Maybe you're in a season of blunders or maybe in a more compromised position where there's some patterns of sin that are interrupting your relationship with Christ. Folks, it's simple. It's really simple. Just repent of that. Don't be satisfied with that. Don't make excuses about being there. Don't think that you can shortcut the process and just end up down the road. You're going to go through some correction, some discipline, some struggle where the scriptures will bring you back in right alignment. It's good. It's good. It's good for you. It's good for the body. When we recognize it, when we confess it to one another, and I'm not saying you've got to come up here, but find somebody and say, hey, I need to confess this. It's been an area of weakness. It, it's causing me to struggle, and I need to confess it so that as I confess it, you hold me accountable to repenting and not continuing to walk in that because I want to be effective in my faith. And so, so by doing this with you, I will be encouraged to walk out my faith with fear and trembling, to let the, the return to Christ and His presence and His work in me bring restoration and healing and maturity. That, that's it. It's, it's easy in, in the, the aspect of knowing what to do. The hard part is saying, admitting that that's where you are in the pattern. But, but I hope this morning you recognize, just like the disciples, the freedom comes when we return to Jesus and find Him, the, the teacher who is gentle and lowly and accessible 
that will bring healing and hope to us. That's good news to me. I, I don't know if it is to you, but I hope today that we as a church body would be people that would commit to do that. So I wanted us to do this. We're going to enter in a uh, last moment of, of prayer and uh, just take a minute to reflect on these things. Here's what I want us to do in this time of prayer. I, I want you just privately, individually, to take a minute to ask the Holy Spirit to search you and to see if there's any place in your life that, that you've fallen into the wrong place in this pattern where you're operating mechanically, or religi religiosity has taken over, and, and your, the genuine relationship with Christ has been taken off the, the heat, so to speak. It's on the back burner where it's not really at the forefront of your heart and mind. If, if you're in that place, I just want you to, to do this. We confess that to the Lord. So I'm going to be quiet for just 30 seconds or so and let you Pray that prayer and listen to the Holy Spirit. Heavenly Father, as we've had this couple 30 seconds or so to listen to the Holy Spirit, to reflect on the, the thoughts of the, the Scriptures, Lord, let us be reminded of the truth of who Jesus is and His humility, that, that we are to also be humble like Him. Lord, that, that, that means that we also need to guard against our tendency uh, to be prideful and unwilling to acknowledge that we have struggles. So, so Lord, that, that may be a hard place for some of us today because the, I know my tendency, Lord, can be to excuse attitudes and behaviors and thoughts and um, to minimize those things and, and and, and a, with a willingness to um, identify how they truly an affront to you. So, Lord, I, at least on my own behalf, I, I pray that I'd be more sensitive. I, I pray that I would see your grace and your mercy, your patience and your endurance, your long-suffering with me, and that would draw me to your person and not to the mechanics of faith. Because, Lord, the truth is our faith rests in the person of Christ. And, and our hope is that we would abide in Him and we would be more like Him because of abiding in Him. So, Lord, if, if there is anything in, in any of our lives, Lord, maybe it's not today that you want to reveal that, but maybe it's tomorrow or the next day. Help us to be sensitive. And when you do reveal it, Lord, let us be quick to repent, to break up that fallowed crown of our hearts where it's hardened and, and, and your spirit can't move so, so that we would bring it to you to be broken up, to, to find your grace and your mercy that where you are that gentle and lowly accessible Savior who wants to make us into your image. Lord, that we would find great freedom, that we'd, we'd find great restoration, and we'd find the hope of what it means to be in fellowship with you. Lord, because, as I not unpacked this this morning, but you just reminded me of this, there's no greater place to be than in fellowship with you and fellowship with the, the, the church body itself. Lord, that is the sweetness of, of what it means to walk in the truth of the gospel. And Lord, ultimately, when we're doing that well, that's where we bring glory and honor to you.
And that's what we want to be about. So, Father, um, part of the, the call is for us to, to, to recognize your grace and your mercy so that we would walk in the good works that you've prepared beforehand for us. So, so today, Lord, I, I pray that we would be people who align ourselves rightly with you. Lord, as I've been preparing this week too, I've, I've thought about this. There may be somebody here or on Facebook, I, I don't know, Lord, but may hear this message at some point. They're, they're wondering about what it means to surrender rightly to, to Christ. Or not just to have mental assent, because Lord, the truth is, even the demons knew. They knew truth. Or there are points where Jesus silenced them because they knew the truth and were, were sharing that it wasn't for theirs to share. But Lord, the difference is they never surrendered. They never trusted. And Lord, the privilege of, of, of being able to surrender our lives and trust you as Savior is the greatest privilege that we could ever possess. And so, Lord, I, I pray that if someone right now, hearing these thoughts, knows the truth about Jesus, that he is the Savior, they believe that, that he's been who he is, that he, was, that he came and he uh, died for, to pay the penalty for sins and rose from the dead, and they want to surrender their lives. Lord, I pray that, that they would have the courage and confidence to do that, knowing that you're doing a work in their lives. Lord, typically we, we respond to those things to say we want to surrender with a prayer. So, Lord, that may be appropriate wherever they are, but, Lord, our church, we desire to, to give them counsel about those things. So if, if they're in need of that counsel, Lord, I pray that they would reach out and they would be assured of their salvation because there's no greater need that any of us have than to know Christ and His salvation properly. So, Father, I pray today now, as we're about to conclude this service, that, that we would, in the midst of our days, Lord, when we feel burdened, we feel overwhelmed, that we would remember that you are accessible, that you are there for us, and we would run to you, and our relationship with you would create in us an effectual faith so that you are honored and blessed and glorified through us. So, Father, now as we get ready to conclude this, this service, I pray that you would be blessed or that our fellowship would be sweet or that, that you would walk with us through the week, not just with us individually, but we would be encouragements to one another as we engage in relationships, whether that be just phone calls, uh, grabbing coffee together. Maybe it's a, a, a time just to um, maybe even text and encourage one another, Lord, however you, choose, you see fit to to encourage us to do that through the week. We'll be blessed by our ministry. In Jesus' name, amen.